Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, this morning's scripture comes from John 4, 4 through 26. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning, Vine community. I'm so excited about uh, starting this series with you. This has been something that we've been thinking and talking about for a long time. And uh, I'm so happy that you're going to be here as a part of this conversation on this morning. We're exploring our third way distinctive as a part of our church's culture uh, with one another this month. And one of the things that we're going to use in this series is a creed. Some of us on staff, we wrote a creed as we were thinking and talking about how do we actually not only study this third way posture, but how do we actually like put flesh and bones around what does it mean to hold this posture towards one another? And so we wrote this creed for us as a, as a set of aspirations for how we could uh, invite one another into doing this together. So this creed is not a requirement. This is like the opposite of being a third way. It's like, we all believe this and you will do this. That's not what we're doing. Uh, this is not a means to be like, do this and you'll belong. Instead, we wanted to detail how we could live into this discerned posture that we have one another. 
So if you could, go ahead and pull out this card if you have it. If you didn't get a card, which is probably that section back there, will you raise your hand and we'll get you some. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Katie. is going to run over there and get it. But I want you guys to take a moment here and just look at the bullet points um, as a part of what we're going to be doing together in this series. This creed is just something we wrote for our third way series as a way for us to experience this invitation to a, a shared posture. So on the front part of it, it has these bullet points. And the back part has questions for reflection and for prayer that you guys could utilize. And our, we're also going to have small groups in this series called Third Way Groups. And we're going to be talking about this creed in particular in our, in our gathering. So what I'd like to do is to, for us to recite this creed together. If you would like to, you're welcome to. But we can recite this together. We'll start with, we choose to value empathy. We choose to value empathy and compassion over certainty and absolute agreement. We commit to uphold the God-given dignity and intrinsic value of all humanity, regardless of others' convictions or beliefs. We will find the courage to challenge all forms of communication that foster disdain, violence, and contempt. With a healthy awareness of our own bias, we vow to form our beliefs in the counsel of Scripture, a dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and most importantly, in following the way of Christ. We vow to pursue clarity around our own convictions while respecting others who faithfully disagree. We commit to extend compassion where there is suffering, curiosity where there is difference, and belonging where there is isolation. So our encouragement for you is to take this home and just read this over, consider it as we are trying to live into this third way posture with one another. This third way posture came up around a year plus ago, maybe two years ago, as we were, were trying to discern what is our church's stance on a lot of different issues. And what we came to was this complicated nature of us wanting to have clarity on our beliefs while also not uh, creating a culture that is top down, where you have to believe to belong. There's so many different areas in which this was coming up. Um, but I, one of the ways I think it would be best to introduce this concept is through a conversation around wells and fences. This is something that we talked about in the past, we've processed as a community. But I think for me, it, this tees up this concept more beautifully than I can think of any other way. So <clears throat> I'd like to talk to you about some fences and wells. You guys like fences and wells? Big fans of them? Okay, so um, for those who are like a rancher, there's two different ways that you could care for your flock, your cattle. It's either through fences or through wells. My in-laws, they own a ranch, um, and I wish we could all teleport there right now, because then you'd get to meet Ranch Mark. Ranch Mark talks with an unnecessary accent. I wear boots the whole time. We have Robert Earl Keane playing the whole time. It's like the soundtrack to it. And I will spit for no reason. Just occasionally, just spit. It's just what happens. But I love this ranch. Some of you guys have been out there. It's around 800 acres. Half of it is high fence and half of it is low fence. And for those who don't know much about ranches, what that means is around half of this ranch, 
there are animals that are contained in high fence. And you have high fence because you want to ensure that your prized deer doesn't jump over the fence and go into your neighbor's property and is shot and mounted, right? That's what you don't want. But you also have a high fence, too, to make sure that other predators, they don't get in there and mess with your, uh, your livestock or your deer. You also have a high fence to make sure that, uh, that the, the gene pool that you have in that space remains what you want. It's, it's a great thing to have a high fence, but the problem is it's a ton of work. Why? Because you're always monitoring the fence to make sure there's not a gap in the fence where hogs are coming in and tearing up your fields or your prized deer doesn't escape. So you're always watching the perimeter, making sure there's no large gaps. The other problem with high fence is because the animals are stuck there, you always have to make sure there's enough food and water because if not, they'll die. But the other option is you could have a low fence. And a low fence, animal come and go as they would like to. The fence isn't really used to exclude or contain. It's actually just kind of there as a property line to make sure you know, like, this is where I need to stop and turn around. Rather than containing animals within a fence, these animals, they go to wherever setting provides best for them. And it's weird how animals oftentimes will instinctively know that there's a better place for me over there, and they will kind of all just shift over there, whatever provides for their well-being. So deer and cattle, sheep will gather around a well that they will find. And this unique thing happens where a community of care and protection is formed. You might envision what the Serengeti, you know, these little ponds in the Serengeti in Africa, and there's just this diverse community that gathers around there. Now, what's been interesting to, as of late for me is when I've been going out to this ranch, that the low fence area actually is flourishing more so than the high fence. There's something about that that's happening where there's a lot more animal and really big animals that are starting to, to hang around the low fence area. Why? My in-laws are really good at keeping the feeders full of corn, and they have really, really good wells. So I want us to consider the difference between these two different approaches, between wells, uh, uh, having a sense of uh, protection around fences, and then finding it around wells. So let's look at this uh, graph here. So in fences, attention is on policing the fence, making sure that everything is contained, that the fence is doing its job. With wells, the attention is on the provision of the well. Is this well still working? Is it still providing what it needs to? In fences, community is built upon exclusion. Who's outside the fence? Who's inside a fence? We don't want those things over here because we have this beautiful fence, so it's around exclusion. With wells, its community is built upon a common thirst. We find ourselves going around this well because we're all thirsty together. Within high fences or fences, movement is contained. You're not allowed to come and go as you please. But with wells, it is, there's freedom. There's freedom to move. There's a freedom to come and go. Fences fosters, uh, fosters scarcity mindset. Why? Because there's a set amount of provision that's within that fence. So the more of you in that fence, the less for me, Right? But with wells, um, it fosters abundance mindset. Why? Because if this well runs dry, we're going to the neighbor's place, right? So fences also, the unity comes from a fear of the common enemy. And you talk to ranchers in West Texas, the common enemy is hogs right now. 
uh, right here with wells, unity is built upon common, commonality of need. That we find ourselves gathering around a shared need. In many ways, fences and wells, they serve similar goals, but what you'll find is they, they have such drastically different approaches that produce very different end results. What is interesting is that this is not just something we find in the wild, but psychologists have been doing work that mirrors these same principles. Instead of wells and fences, that you will use uh, these terms, a bounded set versus a centered set. A bounded set means like, all right, to belong, these are our actions. These are what we do. This is what we believe. And so you'll find certain uh, groupings or tribes that will have a bounded set of belief. A perfect example of this is middle school cliques, right? Like if you want to belong, we all are going to dress like this and we're all going to hate Kindle, Right? <laughs> Like, this is just what we're going to do. It's a bounded set. It's, it's like a belongings built upon these beliefs and actions. Instead, you could have a center set where it's not about these shared beliefs and actions to find a sense of belonging. Uh, it's, it's actually about having a, something in the center that holds you together. It's like there's a core that everything revolves around. And the funny thing about this that's maybe not that funny is that this is... This bounded set of who's in and who's out is not just something we find in middle schools. It's something that we find in our society all the time. It's this tribalism that we have in our days. It's more subtle, but it feeds on disdain of who's on the other side of the fence and who's with us. I've often heard it said, there's nothing that brings people together than a common enemy. That's bounded set thinking of who's in and who's out. If you want to belong, you have to uh, act like us. And in church settings and religious settings, it's just as powerful. How do you know you're in? When you believe what we believe, when you sign that doctrine of faith, when you pray like us, you dress like us, you vote like us, you hate the same people that we hate. And religious communities can live easily in this bounded set where fencing is put down, and we know clearly who is in and who is out. The fence could be doctrine, dogma. It could be same-mindedness on a social issue, a political party. Racial sameness has definitely been a part of the bounded set within the American Christian tradition. And there's, if I can confess, there have been times in my life where I have thought that I was inside a fence when it came to religious circles, where I was inside the fence, but then unknowingly I said something or I did something that all of a sudden marked me for being on the other side of the fence, on the other tribe. And it was like collectively the, the people inside that bounded said, uh-uh-uh, we don't say that. We don't ask those kind of questions in here. We don't let those kind of people in here you belong over there. And I've been kicked out of the fence because I was too conservative. I've been kicked out of the fence because I'm too progressive. And if you've experienced like that, like I have, if you've seen that taking place in the church uh, circle that you've been a part of, what do you learn along the way? You learn to be afraid. You learn to be afraid of like, well, what if I say one more thing that gets me kicked out of this belonging, out of this group? 
and you learn to shut up, keep your head down, and just ride the party line. You learn to be fearful of venturing off too far, to asking questions that you shouldn't ask. Instead, you are afraid, and so you just don't want to be next. Maybe you're even here at the vine because you recently have you, you found yourself on the other side of the fence. And that's a painful experience if that's something that you've gone through. I know from my life it's been really disorienting. And it, the problem for us is it not only disorients our relationship with whatever religious tribe that is, it messes with our connection to God. And I see that dynamic so clearly within the church. The kind of church I hope that we are as the vine, the kind of church I hope that we are is we are a church that's not built on fences, but we are centered in a well. A third-way community is not marked by being on one side of a fence or the other side of the fence. It's actually not about the fence at all. It's formed in a third way. It's rooted in this well named Jesus. And I see these dynamics played out so clearly in John chapter 4, the passage that Stephen just read, a long passage, thank you Stephen, that he just read around this conversation with this beautiful beloved woman and Jesus. This woman found herself outside many fences in her day. First, she was a Samaritan. Samaria bordered Israel to the north, and they had such disdain for each other. The Jewish community and the Samaritans, they really hated each other. And it was in part because uh, Samaritans, um, they, we, they once had conquerors come, and, and they conquered Israel. And Samaritans, they intermarried within those, with those people. So Jewish people considered them half-breed. They called them dogs. And they were outside the fence. They were outside the fence. So Samaritans, what did they do? They said, fine, we, didn't, we don't need to go to Jerusalem and go to the temple. We'll make our own temple. And all of a sudden, that fencing became starker and broader, and people just began to separate out more and more. Jewish people didn't associate with them or even journey into their land. It's interesting that Jesus disregards that fence. And if you look in this passage, you will find Jesus had to travel through Samaria. He had to do that. Secondly, not only was she a woman in a very patriarchal society, but she was a woman of poor character. She had questionable character. She was known to be a philanderer. She was outside the fence even within her own community. And her need caused her to return, though, to this well. And we, at this well... She goes in the middle of the day so that maybe she doesn't see anyone to experience that being pushed aside, that ostrac being ostracized. And, that, and it was at that well that she meets Jesus. And I want you guys to notice how Jesus, in his words, masterfully tears down all these fences. Okay, this starts in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? I love that Jesus begins by being in need. Jesus is the one who is asking from her. I think that's a lesson for us, is oftentimes Christians, we're really good at hosting people, come to our circle, come to our thing, but we need to learn how to be with people, to be needy with other people, and to receive from others. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
But wait, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's, in other words, saying, hey, buddy, observe the fence. (laughs) Get over there. You're not allowed to do this. What are you up to? And then Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is redirecting the attention from the fences into a deeper need to this idea of a well, that if you, were really, if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking for something that could truly satisfy you, a truer well. But then she returns to the fence. I want you to notice the words us and you and what she says. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his his livestock? In comparison to the us and them word that she uses, notice how Jesus responds. Jesus said, everyone, everyone, anybody, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, this woman knows her thirst. She knows this journey of coming out there. She knows the experiences of fences in her life. And something about this offering just rings true in her. Tired of the pain from fences, she wants this water, so she responds, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. If you're in sales, right now is when you should seal the deal, right? Right now is like coffee is for closers. She's ready. You've made the offer. Let's do it. She wants to receive this water. Close the deal. And so Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband. Jesus says, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. No, Jesus. Wrong answer. It was so close. What what are you doing? It all fell apart. But Jesus wants this conversation to go deeper. Jesus wants to draw something out of her heart, wants to draw something out of her well. It goes more than a physical thirst. Jesus wants to reveal a deeper need. If you were to read this story, this woman reflexively goes back to fencing, and she says over and over again, we worship here, you worship there, get back on your side of the fence. But Jesus, he tries to show the expansiveness and the inclusion that is allowed around this well. Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about being on the right side of the fence. It's not about the fence at all. Then the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus reveals with clarity I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And at this, this despised, lonely, shamed woman, she experiences something profound. She realizes that Jesus' grace and mercy 
broke through all of the fences to come find her, to grab her, and to set her free from all of that guilt, that shame, the past that she had, to set her free in knowing that there is a well that will never run dry and it's implanted deep within her. It's the well of God's grace and mercy. So why did Jesus not land the plane earlier? Why did, she, why did Jesus drudge up all her relational baggage? Was, was it to shame her? Was it to make her guilty? No, I don't think so. I think that Jesus wanted to ensure something because if she and Jesus would have had that shorter exchange and, and uh, Jesus would have offered that, like, okay, we're good, here's this well, you got it, we're good, and they, she would have left, I think she always would have wrestled with one question. What if he really knew me? Like, what if, like, what if this one who promised this living water, but what if he really knew me? Because he didn't know all I've been through. Jesus brought that up because Jesus wanted to let her know for once and for all that Jesus knew her through and through and wanted to give her something that would satisfy her more than another lover, wanted to provide the embrace of mercy. He wanted to ensure that she knew this well was meant exactly for people like her. And we know this for sure because you see this transformation take place when she said, this is in verse 28, then leaving her water jar, leaving her jar behind, it's like she found a deeper well, and a deeper provision. The woman went back into town and said to the people, she could have said everything. This man, he provides, he's the Messiah, he's teaching with authority and power. This is what she said. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? It seems as if this well is not meant for people who put their best foot forward. It's not meant for people who have a certain status or moral scorecard. It is not for people who fake it until they make it. It's for people who know that they are thirsty. They're hungry. And they're tired of going to other places. It seems like the only requirement to come to the well of Christ is a requirement of thirst. For those who are in need of mercy and new beginnings of healing and wholeness, this well that Jesus created, it still stands before us now. It's interesting how fences create either or options, but the well of Jesus seems to be creating a different way. If you were to look at that same chart we looked at earlier, you could see how we live in a world of fencing. Like our world and our society is built so much around fencing, the tribalism that is just the status quo of our world. But a third way community, for me, is, it's centered around something different. It's centered set. It's centered set around the way of Jesus, about the provisions that Christ offers. That same chart that we saw earlier, it's, for me, it's displaying what a third way community is about. The third way community is around the center of the well of Jesus. And I know, and I'm sure many of you have, that religious fencing has done so much damage in our day and our age. But what if we learn to put Jesus at the center? What if we learn to actually honor Jesus' words of what he was hoping to do? That, that word, whoever, whoever worships the Father in spirit and truth, whoever calls upon my name, 
whoever. Like, what if we were to gather a community centered around Jesus and find a different way forward? Now, there's some people who might have concerns around this. Community centered around the provision of Jesus for our grace and mercy. They might have a couple issues, and I, I get that. My, my thought is, though, when you put Jesus at the center of a community, what you're actually providing is a space for diversity. That's the beautiful thing about a well, is it's accessible from every angle. And when we put Jesus, the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, at the center of who we are, we refuse a unity based on who we are against. It refuses to know who we are by who we disdain and who we hate. A kind of place of a third way for me frees people to bring their unique perspective and experience without the fear of rejection. Now, I I imagine some people could say, come on, if we get rid of all fences, isn't it like anything goes, right? I mean, there's a little bit in that me too of like, if we, don't we need a couple fences? Just a couple, and we all have a different fence of what we would choose, right? Well, the reality is, of course not. Uh, I think it's not anything goes if we have Jesus in the center. Why? Because Jesus remains our guide, our shepherd, our standard. If you <laughs> just think of how much harder it is to follow the way of Jesus, think of how much harder it is to put Jesus at the center of a community and learn all the different one another's with people who don't see eye to eye, people who have different experiences. It's actually much harder. But for me, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to look at what Jesus did. And I'd like to ask you a second, just to consider for one second, what did Jesus spend more time doing? Erecting fences or tearing them down? If you were to look at the life of Jesus, do you feel like Jesus spent more time like creating clarity and boundary for who is in and who is out? Or do you see Jesus over and over again blowing up fences of exclusion and barriers for people to experience the fullness of God? That's what I see. I see that Jesus, he was obsessed with tearing down anything that held people back from coming to God, rich and poor. They could come to the well, racially other, morally misfit. They were asked, are you thirsty, religiously unclean, socially superior? Come to the well. When you look at Jesus' context, there were a lot of fences. Different groups judging one another because they weren't obeying the religious rules in the right way. People trying to one-up each other in their life of who wanted to be in and who couldn't be in. And are you going to follow my list? Are you going to stay within that fence? But then Jesus comes along. And when Jesus was asked about the law, the rules of who is in and out, Jesus didn't say it didn't matter. All he said was he looked at their oppressive religious life and said, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Your rules, your lists, your fencing, they are so misguided. For one thing is needed. Love God with everything you have and everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the laws will hang upon that. Don't you see how that's so different? Every commandment, all the rules that are worth following are centered upon love. A love of God and love of neighbor, a love of others. And they draw upon that well that Jesus taught us and Jesus demonstrated. 
I will actually say a Jesus-centered spirituality, a Jesus-centered community that I hope that we are, we are becoming is a higher bar and is greater challenge than simply abiding by a religious fence or a binder or rule book that we're given. Why? Jesus' teachings and his claims were radical. Loving your neighbor as yourself, learning to love your enemy, solidarity with the poor, learning how to be a community full of difference, different points of view, different backgrounds, and learning how to love one another as a witness to this world of what God's love could be and do, this requires so much of us. Being in a center set community, it actually creates the space where we have to figure out also what you believe. What do you believe? Not what must I learn to remain in the fence, but you are free to explore with courage and with faithfulness to Christ what that could look like. So friends, the vine is going to be a community that focuses on the well. It's gonna be one where we put Jesus at the center of our life, our mission, our identity. We're going to, I encourage you to put Jesus at the center of your home, your friendships. And I want you to see and to follow a Jesus who would tear down every single fence that holds people back, that creates barriers, that makes enemies, tear down all of that so that we can say to everyone, come to me, come with me. I know a source of hope. I know a place of healing. I know where there is hope. I know a place where you can go to find life again. So leave that old water jar. Tear down that fence and replace it with something better. Because I met someone who knew every bit of me and loves me with a relentless love. So church, I invite you to come with me, all who are thirsty, for there is a well, and his name is Jesus. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.